0: One page Chavzai in the direction of Rabbi Yosef Kapach to the Mishneh Torah of the Rambam. Tonight will most likely be the last Shi'ur of Rabbi Yosef Kapach before we get to the Rambam himself. We discussed last time all about the Ravad and how the Ravad is not really a posek when it comes to the Rambam, meaning his notes on the Rambam are not intended to argue halachically with Rambam, but rather the whole purpose is to show that there is another out to tell the learner, to make the learner aware, hey, before you just accept what the Rambam says, you should know there are other opinions. And the reason why he spoke harshly was not out of some hatred of the Rambam, But rather, as Rabbi Yosef Kapach explained, this is his theory, and it's a a novel one. This is not the accepted theory in the camp of uh, those who study the Rambam, but I think that Rabbi Yosef Kapach managed to make some peace many centuries later. And that is, the Ravad was simply a wealthy man very influential, and was used to answering to no one. And that was the way he spoke, that was the way he studied, that was the way he wrote about people, and you should not infer from the Ravad that he actually disagrees with the Rambam, unless you see in the book of the Ravad himself, in Hanukkah, that he argues with the Rambam. We now have one more piece left. On the bottom of page, Chavav 26, in the Rebbe of Kapak's introduction. Odzot, additionally, we must have in front of our eyes. When we come to study the writings of our great rabbi Darambam the who in this fact that we must always remember is Shekol that all of his words are said, in the most brief and concise way possible. The Rambam speaks short. He doesn't write uh, at length. He doesn't elaborate where elaboration is not necessary. And like our Rabbis themselves seem to have commanded, The source here is Pesachim, Chulin, that a person must always teach his students, uh, an abbreviated way now really it could be the Gemara here intends to say something else but Ke'enze in this spirit that a person should always teach their students things in a concise fashion in a clear fashion and before I, I share I mentioned before Harav and the writings of Harav Peretz In Yeshiva, there were always two camps of Talmidim. I don't know if one of the camps could be considered a camp because it was very small. Those who appreciated Harav truly, and those who just saw him as another rabbi who teaches. Harav Peretz's books, when you study them, they don't seem to have many great chidushim in them. I'm not talking about his books of Musa and, and on the Torah. And the books of halacha, they seem to be very basic, very elementary almost, if you would like. Halachot, the post that write this, the that ask that. And more than that, no fancy people believe no mental gymnastics, no No tremendous historical research. And I'm recalled of what someone here in Arcola once shared, that Albert Einstein once said. And if he didn't say it, it's fitting that he should have said it. And if he did say it, then Baruch Hashem. That you do not truly understand something if you cannot explain a sophisticated matter simply. The genius in the writings of al Peretz is precisely that. to Take things that other people like to overcomplicate and to write them as briefly as possible without losing out on any of the halachic clarity. I don't want to waste your time. He you would always. I don't want to waste your time with Poskim you don't have to study. I don't want to waste your brain space with Pitbulim that you're not obligated to know. And people would laugh and they would scoff. What kind of uh, attitude is that? But the truth is that I'm grateful because we remember things clearly because we know things. You want to elaborate? You're always allowed to. All right, that's what the whole day is for. The whole night is for. When it comes to teaching your students, to give them a path, to give them a road to give them the tools to understand the things they need to know first. There's a famous story, Chobat <clears> el <an> Unbelievable work. Chobat <laughs> al I don't know why in the world of Torah, why did I say the world of Torah? I mean the world of yeshivot. So much emphasis is put on the study of Talmud, for example. We complain that people don't study enough Tanakh. Forget, let's say they don't want to understand HaKadosh Hu. fine. They don't want to know what HaKadosh Hu said. Fine. What about the writings of our that are, are fundamental? They're foundational. I mentioned to you before in the beginning of the Shurim of Agadah. Before we began to study Talmud, what about all the Hagdamot, the necessary introductions before? Do you know how many hours of my life I would have saved studying in yeshiva had someone actually taught us first the rules of the Talmud and then taught us the Talmud? It's like, go take a car, drive it, let's hope you don't crash anybody. Instead of teaching you how to drive first. They're essential mamarim, essential teachings that we don't study, that we don't know them first. The people are not taught first. Look, today we're going to quote soon from the Igeret Tichiat Metim, from the letter that the Rambam writes to the Jews of Yemen concerning the resurrection of the dead. The ideas in this letter are, are life-changing, but they're not life-changing because they're novel. They're life-changing because this is what Judaism wants from us. But we don't even know it. To first teach the students the thing they need to know. Chovat <laughs> levavot, the duties of the heart. By the way, the idea behind chovat <laughs> levavot is important. Harei <laughs> are able to legislate, to rule on things that are duties of the action. Chovat <laughs> if you want to call it. There are other uh, words you could use for that. When a person violates halakha in public, they go to the bedin and there's a consequence. Chovat <laughs> levavot, though, what you believe your connection to HaKadosh your emunah in the Torah and its truth, nobody can legislate that on you. You can't force that on someone. The duties of the heart, those can only be taught to people through gentle persuasion, through logical argument, through convincing, intellectual stimulation. You can't force someone to believe in something they don't believe in. You can't make that a law, you can make a law, they can't do something, but to believe something. In Chovat Levavot, we're being taught things that we cannot legislate, and therefore we're being taught to by our Chachamim, what it is that we should believe, how we should believe. In Chovat Levavot, I believe in the introduction. There's a story there about Chacham, who was teaching his students, the laws of Gitin, of divorce. And one of the students raised his hand and asked a theoretical question. What if, you know what happens in Men'sh what if this happens and then that, what's the halakha? And the rabbi looked at him, and in a way that in the West sounds bad, but in our Bataimidash is real. The rabbi is asking, the student is asking the rabbi a real question, and the rabbi is expected to give the student a real answer, not a fake answer, a real answer. And he tells him, I've been studying Torah for 35 years. That's what it says in the I've been studying the laws of Gitin for 35 years. And never did I have enough free time, enough free space in my brain to ask a theoretical question like that one. I haven't yet finished learning what I need to know to have the time to discuss things that I don't need to know. You call them in America first world problems. They're problems you have that your iPhone charger doesn't work with the right wire because a third part, wow, it's a crisis. What am I going to do without Wi-Fi for a day? What's going to happen if there's a blackout in the middle of the night and you can't recharge your, your computer, whatever it is? There are people who don't have food. They don't have water. They don't have houses. That's a crisis. An iPhone charger is not a crisis. There are things that are crises. They're fundamental and we don't know them. People want to know all kinds of things they don't need to know. Not because they don't need to know them. but Because they don't yet know the things they need to know you want to take an elective class, that's fine but you must take your required classes too you want to do extra things at work? it's wonderful, but you have to work too this problem affects all of life I'm deviating, but this whole purpose of this shiur was meant to teach us how to live properly based on the writings of HaKamim you live in a world where a man ignores his family a woman ignores her family I'm speaking adam. a man works from the morning till the night he doesn't see his wife in the morning at night he comes home he's tired he doesn't see his kids they already went to sleep by the time Shabbat rolls around he's so tired he falls asleep the whole Shabbat he sleeps nighttime, daytime, from the meal till the next maybe he makes it out for a minyan when he's at minyan he doesn't see his wife he can't talk to his kids go out go to the hallway go to the kids program so what does he do? Once a year he takes his family on some vacation. A whole week? Well, I'm going to spend time with you. Nobody needs your week of vacation. If 360 days out of the year, you're not present. You didn't yet do what it takes to be a man. You didn't do what it takes to be a mother, a father, a brother. You didn't do anything. So now you're doing an extra. You think you deserve some kind of a trophy for it. Some kind of present for it. But the ikar the you don't have. What does your wife need you to take her to a restaurant on uh, Valentine's Day if you don't love her the rest of the year and you don't show that love the rest of the year? Why do you have to bring your mother a card on Mother's Day if 364 days out of the year you're not there for her like a child should be there for a parent? You live in a world where people are so busy doing the things they don't need to do, they neglect entirely the things they do need to do. It's really nice to bring a card on Mother's Day. It's really nice to be there for your wife on her birthday, on your anniversary, when that's on top of you being there the whole year. It's the cherry on top. It's the whipped cream on top. But if you don't have something to put that cherry on, so what, you just serving people cherries now? In the world of learning Torah, it's the same thing. People learn so many things. It comes down, what do you actually know? Do you actually know? No, Nobody knows. Nobody knows. And if it seems to us that in the Rambam's writings, there's a sentence that seems to be, apparently is extra, superfluous. We must know, the Rambam doesn't write any sentences in his Mishneh Torah, which are superfluous. And you have to understand, why did the Rambam, why did the Rambam copy himself? Why did he repeat himself? And if we see that there is some kind of double, doubling up, uh, extra, in a certain halakha, Then the Rambam repeats himself for a reason, not for nothing. And you can analyze that reason. You can be medayek, the Rambam writes this twice, must be there's a reason for it to be written twice. And I will not hold back, from his writings himself. I'm going to quote, he says, he himself, when the Ramam wrote about himself, about his books, Shonon, this is his language, in the letter of in resurrection of the dead, in my edition, Amud page 89 and onwards. And I figured instead of just reading a selected passage here, why don't you and I go into the Rambam's letter and see it for ourselves. So you'll see that I attached here to the Google Classroom, I attached a a copy from the Igrot Rambam, from the letters of the Rambam. You'll notice the Igrot Rambam of Rabbi Yosef Kapach is much shorter than any other edition of the letters of the Rambam that I'm familiar with. Some of them that I have are even thicker than this. The reason Rabbi Yosef Kapach only printed letters that he believed were actually authentically written by the Rambam. Letters that he felt were not genuine or inauthentic, forgeries or suspicious, he didn't print them at all. And therefore he's only left with a few letters of the Rambam. I'll go to page 89, but before I read to you from page 89, let me set up the problem for you. I didn't have a chance to photocopy the whole essay for you. In general, when you get those scans from me, they're a little bit wiggly because I copied them on my phone. And then I turned them into a scan and I sent them to you as a PDF. So if you see the attachment on page 89, there's a Zion in the middle of the page. I'm going to back up a little bit before then. So I'm going to back up a little bit. But the Rambam discussing his book, emanating, spreading, disseminating out to the world, spreading out to the world. Says the Rambam, if the photocopy I gave you is in Zion, this is in section Gimel. When this book of ours became popular, and was sent out to the corners of the world. We heard a rumor. And that one of the Talmudim in Damascus, in Damascus, He said, That there is no such thing as the resurrection of the dead. And the soul will never return to the body after the separation. And one of the bystanders, or one of, maybe the whole group of listeners who were listening to this Chicham speak, they asked him, How do you say such a thing that there's no resurrection of the dead in Judaism? He brought a proof from my book, says the Rambam we wrote in the Mishnah Torah we wrote in the laws of Teshuvah that the whole purpose is Olam Haba that there is no body in Olam Haba and those people they brought proof from, from the common knowledge among the Jewish people And from the many uh, writings of our Chachamim that discuss this, Amar, Hem, Kula, Mashal, all of them are just parables when we heard this rumor, we didn't deal with it, because we figured, that's one fool made a mistake. How many people can make a mistake to believe this from our writings? That is a counting of dates that in Yemen still was used until fairly recently. In fact, some Yotzei Teman still write these dates. Is uh, the dates from the not from the creation of the world, but according to the calendar of contracts? We received a letter from the land of Yemen. They asked al about some things. They said that they already decided that this thing is true: that the body and the soul will never reunite and the reward and consequences will be for the soul alone and they again learned this from that which we wrote he said when they showed them some of the things they said ah, it's a mashal again And they asked me for help or an answer, and I answered them, I them about their questions. And we explained to them, the resurrection of the dead is one of the foundations of the Torah. And that's the return of the soul to the body. You cannot take this away from its simple meaning. This is not a parable, this is reality. And that's the return of the soul to is it, and everything that's going to happen is like what we wrote in in chapter Chalik and Sanhedrin. We thought that that would be enough. And he keeps writing, it wasn't enough. The keeps going. And therefore, says the Rambam in the next chapter, chapter David, Daatah ha'Mayim. You should know, ki mataratenu b'marzeh. My purpose in this essay, he is leva'era daatenu anu to explain our opinion. By isod this fundamental, Ashari irub bochalifut varim b'natam midim. That seemingly there has been some uh, uh, confusion among the students. Vot chiatemitiim, and this is the matter of the resurrection of the dead. And then again, on the next page, he says, and that which he said, amarnu that, we say, Kedchiyat mashal, that the resurrection of the dead in the Torah is just a parable. Hu sheker barur. It is a clear lie. V'hotzarat and it is slander on behalf of the one who said it. My books have already been published as the Ambam. Please read my book and see, where did I write such a thing? The only time, says the Rambam, that I say that something written in the writings of the Torah is a parable, is if the Chachamim themselves said, like by the dead of the I believe it's a prophecy of the bones. But the rabbis of the Talmud are, are divided over it. Okay. And the Rambam continues. The Rambam keeps writing. There's no room for any person to be mistaken in what we wrote. And to say that we, the camp of the Rambam, believe that there's no such thing as Chayat it's all a parable. And then in Vav, and some other people found a mistake, meaning they learned their mistaken ideology from a different place than Mishneh Torah. I wrote the following words. This is famous in the Ramam's Laws of Mashiach. This is a quote from the Ramam's Mishneh Torah. It should not enter your mind that the king of Mashiach has to make miracles or wonders, and has to make some kind of new creation in the world, or resurrects the dead, or anything similar to that. we brought proofs to that there. And one of those with poor... Analyzation skills. Weak analyzation skills. Understood. (laughs) That this is a denial of the resurrection of the dead. And that brings me to chapter Zion, which you have in front of you. Says the Rambam the following. And this is not important. I'm not here to discuss today the triatematim in the Mishnah of the Rambam. What does the Rambam believe Triatematim looks like or does not look like? It's not the purpose of tonight's show. But rather to understand how the Rambam explains people make mistakes in his own writing. He goes, Why? For what reason? Vireli it appears to me. Ki asher garam la nashim Follow along with me. And the left side is Arabic, Judeo-Arabic, so that's not Hebrew. It looks like Hebrew. The left column is uh Arabic written in Hebrew letters. And the right column is Rav Kapach's translation of it. This way it helps you, uh, if you are familiar with Arabic, you can compare whether you agree or not with Rav Kapach's translation. And furthermore, sometimes a word in Hebrew doesn't accurately translate and a word in Arabic, and therefore there's a little footnote, and Rav Kapach will say that there's a few other Hebrew words he could have chosen, and, and you should decide which of them you prefer. So again, Zayin, let's read together. Vireli it appears to me, ki, ki asher garam that which caused these people to make a mistake, Bidvarenu and our words regarding the resurrection of the dead, Mipnei betiur ha-olam ha'ba, because we wrote extensively about explaining olam ha'ba, the next world. And we work hard to explain and elaborate on the truth of this concept of olam ha And we mention about olam Haba all the words of the chachamim, all the words of the Nevi'im, the prophets and the sages who spoke about it. And when we mention the resurrection of the dead, we only mentioned it briefly in a few words. amiti. We wrote that תחיית is a true foundation. It's a fact. That's all we wrote about תחיית המתים. וגרמו So what caused them to make a mistake? Uh, what caused וגרמו לקח Says of Kapach in the bottom of note 6 Why did I write shortly, briefly, about תחיית המתים? שני Two reasons. האחד. The first reason. shekol חיבורנו that our entire Book meaning what a Interestingly enough, Rav Kapach believes Chiborinu is written in plural, to tell you that all of his books, not just Mishnah Torah, but the Rambam's style, in you know, all of his books is like this. Enam ela kav venaki. Is only kav venaki. What is kav venaki? If you look in footnote 8, Kmosha moa al Yezar al Yezer ben Yaakov, Reviyamot mem Tedbet. bet. Over there in uh, Yivamot, there's a discussion, if I mis- remember about uh, Yuchasin, about uh, relationships. And over there we mentioned that Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov was kav v'naki. He wrote very briefly, but the things that he wrote briefly were very accurate. So even though he didn't elaborate, perhaps like others may, but when he writes something, you should know that when Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov writes, it's clear, it's true, it's a fact. The same thing says the Rambam. All of my writings are kav v'naki. They're brief but accurate. (laughs) She'en mataratenu lahagdil kamut asfarim. says the Rambam, I have no desire to increase the amount of books, the amount of literature on the shelf. ולא לאאבד hazman, and not to waste time במה שאינו מביד לדה I don't wish to waste time on things that will bring no practical purpose. Let's look at footnote 9 of Rav Kapach. Rabenu רואה בעריכות הפרשנית ובהמצאות הפלפוליות Rabbeinu the Rambam sees in the lengthy commentaries and in the style of pilpul, of inventive pilpul, that have no practical day-to-day applications. Rambam considers them a waste of time that has no constructive purpose. Look there in the commentary, nidam. Instead of a can see what I wrote in this uh, uh, journal called Shema'atin. Maran, the laws of Asher Yitzhar are in one siman in Shulchan Aruch. One. I was in a bookstore in Israel a few years ago, and I saw a three-volume work, how thick? Each volume was maybe the size of our sedu. A three-volume work, Hilchot Asher yitzar. Everything you need to know about Asher Yatzar. When Maran could say in a few sentences. It takes you three books to write. Look, Rambam. Rambam Hilchot Nishon Hara. Maybe it's eight halachot. Maybe eight halachot. Eight. Do you know eight halachot is eight. When he teaches Hilchot Hara in five sentences. Five sentences will teach you everything you need to know about the Shonara. And other Chachamim wrote books and books and books and books about the Shonara. How did one person take something so clear and make it so complicated? The Imam says, I have no desire to add more books to the Jewish library. It's like when you assign homework to a high schooler and they decide to make it in a big font, double spaced, uh, printed on many pages. Why? So it looks like it's a lot. Who are you trying to impress? Ulfichachem back in the Rabbam and therefore in and anu mefrashim elam ashtayun perush uchdei shiuvan He says and if I elaborate on something I explain something it's only because it's necessary and so that it could be understood v'im chibarnu and anu mechabrim ki maskenot ha'inyanim and if we write things we only write the conclusions of things he writes the same thing in his introduction to the Mishnah Torah also in his introduction to the Sefer Mitzvot says of Kappar and the second reason so first is the first reason i like to write briefly clear and accurate there's no reason to write things that don't need to be written I'm not looking one to add books to the bookshelf and two I'm not looking to waste my time or your time in things that are not practical and the second reason and the second reason that when I write at length is only because the matter is deep, and I write at length so that the understanding of the matter that's being discussed will be complete, will be shelema, will be complete. If you look with me in eleven footnote eleven of Kapach writes here that the word in Arabic I don't know how to pronounce it properly Tazwar Havanat Hadavar mean to understand something completely meaning to understand it in all of its angles in all facets in the next page until it will become and it'll be able to imagine it Benefish Hadam Ki that it will be all of those pieces will make one clear image in his mind. Says the Rambam, when I elaborate on things, it's in order so that you should take a complicated concept and have a complete image of it, a 3D image, all angles should be covered. Back on the previous page, or because I need to bring proofs, so either he elaborates because it's something that requires elaboration for you to get a complete picture of it, or two, because I'm bringing proofs, says the Rambam, to show you that it's true. And this matter is necessary in three types of sciences. Let me read to you what he's referring to in the footnotes. So look at footnote 12. Like mathematics, engineering. calls so them the word kasher, to make something able that math and engineering, my father will be so proud right now, but I didn't do well in those classes in school, math and engineering, I would say that if I would be an engineer, that line of the bridge would be falling down already. They make a person's mind able, to think properly, and to reach the proper conclusions look in the first section of so the first that requires explanation is that mathematics and engineering teach a person how to think clearly for example in recent times how to calculate risks how to make decisions, how to know what's what's proper to do, what is improper to do, that requires a certain type of skill set a thinking skill set which is given by this, second Elohi divine thoughts uh, TV, natural. All of the natural sciences. Botanica, botany. Geologia, geology. Zoologia, zoology. Astronomia, astronomy. Vichadome. Uvikhlal maasebirjidat Rabbenu arambam includes in the natural sciences category the whole science of the creation of the world. Interesting, that's not a divine study, it's a study of reality, of the way the world was created. 14. divine studies. The understanding, the knowledge of the oneness of Hashem, the existence of Hashem, and the oneness of Hashem. And this includes everything that's called Maaseh Merkava, the, the story of the chariot, which we discussed in our Agada class last week. Our says, these three disciplines require a lot of analyzation. I'm back on top of the page, because many times, inyan there are some hidden matters there, havana, and they're difficult to understand, until you define the terms properly, sufficiently, and many times, and it takes time, until it really becomes true, that word, uh, 15, in Arabic, means, says of Kapach, uh, 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 an understanding that means that you have no doubt, beyond the reason of a doubt, you're, you're aware that this matter is true. But matters of miracles. The belief in a miracle is not deep, nor is it difficult. And there's no way to bring proofs to miracles that happen. Or what the prophets will say happened. Look at footnote 16. What happened in the past. And we know those miracles happened because our prophets told them to us. Or our Nevi'im told us this is what will happen in the future. There's no way to bring proofs. Either you see them with your senses, meaning you experienced the miracle, and therefore you know it's true or you believe the person who tells you that they experienced it. and therefore, we explain at length, and we elaborate because of its depth. Says the, Rambam, the reason we elaborate so much on Olam Haba is because that's part of the reality of the world. That there is an Olam Haba that there is a soul that lives forever that's not a miracle that's a reality it's a science of Judaism. But the resurrection of the dead That's entirely a miraculous matter. It's very simple. What is there to know about It's very clear. All that's left is to believe that the dead will resurrect, will come back to life. Like we know, through a true transmission. And the matter of the resurrection of the dead is beyond what is natural. It's not a natural phenomenon. It's a supernatural phenomenon. It's a miracle. And no matter how you approach this topic logically, there is no logical proof to Tchiat It works the way all other miracles work. And therefore we accept it, and that's it. There's nothing more to talk about Tchiat What do you want me to write about it, says the Rambam. What do you want me to elaborate about do you expect me also, uh, in any way to bring proofs to something which is a miracle? ו'אנסאף כי to says the all you're asking me to do is to paraphrase all the Agadot, all the teachings of our Rabbis that they wrote about what's going to happen in the resurrection of the dead that doesn't fit my works, says the Rambam that fits in my colleagues' works that's the way they write look at 18. the Rambam bites and he bites hard Says the Rambam, like all the other scholars, who read about chiyat <laughs> mitim. And the Rambam's attitude to these uh, uh, these poor, miserable preachers. Look at his introduction to per Chelik. We did this in Agada class. I said, What do you want from people? They come and they try to tell them stories, what's going to happen, the, the resurrection of the dead, the bones that are rolling. What, what purpose does it make for them? It's not my style. It's not what I'm writing about. You, you multitudes who have actually read my books, you know that it's our way. Meaning, those of you who are familiar with my writing, says the Rambam you are familiar with the way I write. And you know that I usually skip the back and forth conversation that happened behind the halakha. I only mention the halakha itself. And you know about me, says the Rambam, that if it was possible for me to write all of the laws of the Torah in one chapter, you know that I would never write in two chapters what I could write in one chapter. If I could write to you all the mitzvot of the Torah on one page, I would never write to you two pages. It's not the way that I work, says the Rambam. And how could they demand from me to mention all the drashot and all the agadah? You want to learn the agadot about Chetim Open the Talmud, go read them yourself. They're there. Nothing is going to change if I copy them down and put them in the Mishneh Torah. And there's no use in copying them over, plagiarizing them, and tell we wrote this book. Before I get to anything, this footnote is very important. Before I get to it, the Rambam says, the reason why people make a mistake is because they're not familiar with the way in which we write books. One is that we're brief, and two, is they don't understand why it is that in some areas we elaborate in some areas we speak briefly there's a method to this madness there's a reason to the way we write things and it's been a while since I wrote a book I've started a number of books since my last book and the other night I was talking to the Rabbanit and I was discussing with her what holds me back from writing books there are many things, many excuses but on a fundamental level And it brought me a lot of clarity. You see, if I write books for those who critique, and I'm afraid that if I write something or I translate something or I quote from this rabbi or from this source or I quote selectively from this rabbi or from this source, and I am worried always, what are those people going to say? Then what's the point of writing a book? I'm afraid what are they going to say? they have what the critique if you will take all of my teaching and you put it up against a microscope you'll find problems you'll find mistakes like anyone else and the question is so who are you writing to? if I'm going to write to change people's mind then I have to write differently than I write to people who already believe the things that we believe and so I made a decision to write and to write only to my Talmudim When I write, I write only to people who understand me, who know me. If I'm going to say something and it sounds to you like I said something evil or said something wrong, the only way you could believe that is if you don't know me. If you don't know me, you could believe that that's what I meant. But for those who know me, for those who've learned with me, for those who've given me the chance in the bed Midrash to explain something, so those people, I don't have to be afraid of them. I know that the things they read, they'll read and they'll understand why and how we wrote what we wrote. And this letter of the gave me a lot of chizuk. Because if al ran into the same problem that there are people who shouldn't be reading his books, who read them, and then blamed him for things, okay. says, but there's makelot. You, makelot, you are those who know. You know how we write. So you, at the very least, shouldn't make the mistakes that they make. Now I'll take you to the footnote. The footnote says the following. Khan here is the Rambam mocking those masters of collections what do you mean collections? or the thick books and they print thick books the 90% of the book are quotes from other people and they don't just quote it once they quote it twice and three times and four times that's what makes the book thick Only for the reason, they wish to copy everyone's original words with no purpose. Sometimes you copy words of other rabbis for a few reasons. One, there's something about the writing, the way that something is written that you need to be able to analyze. Or two, sometimes those books are not available to people and you want to quote something. So they can have an excerpt because they won't have it in their library. How frustrating is it when you see a chacham say, "Oh, go look in volume three of this book. That book's been out of print since eighteen hundred. How am I going to find it? It would have been great if you told me what was written in that book." And There's another reason why people write so much in their books. The truth becomes thicker, becomes truer. If ten people say the truth and the truth becomes thinner, meaning the truth is weaker, if only one person says it. Avkabach is pointing out an attitude of the Rambam. The Rambam believes there are many people who write, and the way they write is so full of repetition. It's useless. There's so much useless repetition. There's no reason you're writing so much. There's no reason you're quoting so much. It doesn't help anybody that you're quoting so much. You're doing it because you need the book to be thick. Or, because there's a false notion in the world. There's this attitude in the Jewish community that if one chacham says something, it's only a daat yachid. One person said it. Who cares? If ten people, if all the rabbis said it, then we'd care. As if there's some kind of numbers game you play in Torah. If one chacham said something and it's true, you don't need anybody else to agree with him for it to be true. The true is true. The truth is true, whether or not there are many people who say it or one person says it. And a lie. A lie is a lie. A fallacy is a fallacy, even if a million people believe in it. Am Israel doesn't vote with numbers. When you write a book, when you teach Torah, and you say, well, well that's just the opinion of the Rambam. That's just the opinion of Rabbi Yosef Mesas. That's just the opinion of the Why right? Just the opinion. If it's true, and I can prove it to you that it's true, who cares who said it and who didn't say it? Recently someone wrote, oh, how dare you bring a halakha from the Ashkenazi. It's an Ashkenazi posek who said it. Well, so I was giving a house tonight to two different people. Two different, um, different Amisraels there exist. a Chacham said it. It happened to me that I quoted the Taz. The Torei Zahav said something. And he's right. So he has to also uh, have spoken Arabic or Ladino for him to be right. He's right. I don't care where he comes from. He said the truth. So now you rule like the Taz here. But you have to rule like the Taz everywhere? No. But the Taz said something true. So it's true. And the other way is also true. Oh, I can't follow the halakha because it's a Sephardic halacha. A fool speaks like that. If something is true, it's true. If something is not true, it's not true. It doesn't make a difference where it comes from or who said it or how many people said it. And therefore says the Rambam, there are many people who make this mistake of quoting sources because they feel if they only quote one true source, it's not enough. They have to quote 10 sources. And somehow they feel that if they write a lie, if they write a, 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 an error, something, a mistake, but they bring a hundred people who said that mistake, oh, now it's true. It doesn't make it true. All it means is a hundred people made a mistake. That's all it means. Foundational works. The Hammam's Ma'amar D'chiyat this essay on the resurrection of the dead, forget about resurrection of the dead what you learn about Torah and writing and understanding the words of Chachamim it's priceless it's priceless one day when when, we all retire and we sit together and we have from the morning till the night to study Torah together without anybody interrupting us we'll sit here with our husbands and our wives and our children we'll just sit and learn Torah the whole day we'll have a chance to finish all of these books together but for right now I want to conclude the introduction of Rav Kapach back on page Chavzayin the last sentence for tonight Al-Kabach in the top quotes a little bit of the letter we just read. Ayin Sham, look there. Devarav HaMealfim at his unbelievable words Va-melamdim chukmat to teach brilliant wisdom. Lemi Hashem kibul matim. It's brilliant wisdom for those that Hashem gifted with a mind who can accept such Torah. Not everybody appreciates what the Rambam just said. But those who Hashem has gifted with a mind that can understand the truth like the Rambam believes it, those people will see this letter we just read from the Rambam and be astounded by it. So here we are. Half Kapach, at the rest of this introduction, simply explains to you the different universities and different uh, handwritings, uh, maybe not universities, but the different manuscripts. That's the word. Manuscripts which he quotes throughout his commentary on the Mishneh Torah. He then says thank you to all the different people, uh, to the different organizations, and the different uh, non-profit organizations, the different government organizations that help them print his works and write his works. And here ends Rabbi Yosef Kapach's introduction, which we've been sitting on, I believe, uh, almost 20 classes. And Baruch Hashem soon will begin the writings of the Rambam himself. And uh, whether or not we'll be doing that tomorrow, we may go through some other teachings first, but most definitely by next week, Monday, we'll begin the Hagdama, which is just a few pages from now. The Hagdama, the introduction to the Rambam's Mishneh Torah, we'll actually be studying the Rambam's writings with the notes of our Kapach in the bottom. Until then, I wish everybody a beautiful evening. Lunch.